Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. And we're laughing right now because I just came downstairs and I think the first words I said to you were, David, my butt's sweaty right now and I thought of you. <laughs> I like to be, uh, you know, you either look up at the stars and think of me or look up at your swamp butt and think of me. Uh, and the reason why uh, she thought of me is last night, I come into our bedroom, which is one of Megan's many desks, though you're starting to lay down roots uh, where we're recording right now. And on Megan's chair is my delightful, comfortable Tempur-Pedic pillow. I had been sitting there. Well, it's about my hamstrings get sore if I sit on a regular chair. So I, I just moved David's Tempur-Pedic pillow around all day. And you came to me with this argument. You're like, Megan, your butt's sweaty. And now my head has to sleep on that. And I was like, my butt doesn't sweat, David. My butt is beautiful. Well, the problem is there are, it's not just that one pillow. There are lots of pillows in our room. What made you choose my pillow? It's Tempur-Pedic. It's the only Tempur-Pedic <laughs> pillow in the house. But so yeah, before this podcast, I was, I actually have a presentation tomorrow and I as we've talked about before on this podcast, I don't love presentations. They're <laughs> kind of hard. So I'm sitting here making this PowerPoint and it was just giving me anxiety oh, yeah. by proxy. And what do you know? My butt started sweating and I was like, oh, yep, it is a legit thing. So it's kind of like a comfort pillow. Yeah, exactly. I'm comforting your butt from a distance. I'll actually, I, I like this. I take it back. You can use my temper. Can I use it tomorrow for my presentation? Perhaps we might just want a new pillowcase. It's going to give me some a little more swag. Actually, like that's a great segue to um, we're in Megan's new office that she built all herself. Every she painted the walls, built the desk up from basically scratch. You're basically a woodworker. It was like a, adult Legos, and for the first time in my life, I read the instructions, <laughs> and it was eye opening to me. I was like, oh my gosh, what could I have done in life if I actually read instructions? Should we do this in other things, perhaps? I I'm tempted. I I don't know. I Baking, feel like cooking, <laughs> cooking, all of these things. Maybe if I actually read instructions, I'd be somewhat passable at these things. I know. I, it's kind of not our style. We definitely didn't do that with podcasts. We just opened the app and started recording. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is what her first poster that she has that she's about to hang up on the wall. Can you read it? Yeah, sure. It's this giant picture. So I ordered the extra large picture yeah, of big. RBG. And it says, speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. And I just love that quote from her. One, because my voice often shakes. <laughs> but two, because RBG is just this like, this amazing female inspiration of someone who speaks her mind, of someone who's done that again and again and again, and has made great waves, great, you know, great achievement through that. Yeah. And I think all of us, when we get up and put ourselves out there, our voices shake literally and metaphorically. Like every time before we do this podcast, even though we've done a bunch of them, we're at episode 34 is about to get into, I get a little nervous, you know, my voice shakes a little. Every time I write, every time I coach, especially like, I don't know, a new athlete, I'm like, how are they going to think about this? And you just kind of have to speak anyway. Just got to go roll with it. Well, yeah, my voice shakes often. And something interesting that I've been working on during presentations is actually visualizing that you're next to me oh. during the presentation. <laughs> because when you're sitting next to me, my voice doesn't shake, which is fascinating to me. I think it's because we have this dynamic yeah. where I know that you're going to pick up for me if I'm struggling, but um, I, I love it. And but also, I've been visualiz visualizing that recently. I also remind you of the butt pillow, perhaps. It's just like this, com you suddenly feel comfortable in your glutes when I'm around. So this is episode 34, which is the Ray Allen episode. Um, he's one of the best shooters ever in the NBA. Before Steph Curry, he was the best shooter. Um, and what we're going to talk about with Ray Allen, though, is that I love this story. So in the first grade in Oklahoma, he won three books. And after that, he became obsessed with reading. Well, it's funny because we both read the same article on Ray Allen. And I pulled out this quote only to go back into our podcast document, our podcast outline, and realize you had put the exact same oh, really? quote in. I the didn't only know that. quote that both of us had chosen. Um, so Ray Allen said on this topic, 
Once I got to the NBA, I picked up reading again because I had so many lonely nights where I was on a plane. We lost. My mind just kind of was blank. So I started reading books more then, starting reading things, going to different places in my mind. And I love that description of reading from a pro athlete. Like the idea of going to different places in your mind, like I feel that often with reading and it just made me want to pick up fiction again. I've been on this nonfiction streak and for whatever reason, I feel like I can go different places in my mind more so with fiction than nonfiction. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, emphasizing the importance of of reading and committing to that is so key. It's something I've really fallen away from over time. I'll, I read so much on my phone. I read so many sports stories, if you can't tell from my constant pestering about these things. Um, but I never really sit down with a book too much. But as a kid, I was like neck deep in books all the time, as, as were you. Um, and I, I specifically remember when I was in first grade, they had a reading contest at the library. For every book you read, you got like a little sticker and you put the stickers onto a big plate thing. And if you filled up the plate, you got to go to Pizza Hut and make your own personal pan pizza. And to me as a first grader, this was like getting to go, I don't know, the ultimate achievement. This was like getting to go to heaven itself, ascend to Nirvana, which was Pizza Hut to make this personal pan pizza. Well, it's funny because this is the first time I'm hearing this story. And I don't know how this came out because I was also very, very competitive in my summer yeah. reading. My Our library had the summer reading contest. I feel like we would have been first grade boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh my God. I, that <laughs> Just like sitting sweet. there in these like stacks of books being like, we're going to go on our Pizza Hut date. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew you when I was that age. It would have made me feel way less lonely. But it's funny because I, that, that makes me think of like my parents' approach to yeah. reading and things in general and they were actually very against bribery for me attached to like tangential achievement or tangential outcome because they're like you know Megan puts enough pressure on herself we don't need to add added pressure so I got bribed for doing things like Megan, you didn't cry after your soccer game today. So here's, <laughs> let's go to Pizza Hut. So it was really? Like, That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, for my parents, every time I got, I'm not sure if it was perfect attendance or good grades, I got to go to Burger King or, or uh, McDonald's or something and get a Big Mac. And to this day, like you can, a Big Mac, I will do anything. I will lift a fucking car for a Big Mac. Um, so my parents accessed my true motivation factors there. Um, yeah, I should start having a Big Mac after podcast. I'm going to be like, talking so freaking fast to get it over with as soon as possible. We're going to go through our Burger King drive through date. We can bike there. I wonder if they'll take us on bikes. <laughs> I bet they do in Boulder. They could probably, we get McNuggets for Addie's Fetch. Um, yeah. And so health follow-up, given that like last week we talked about me being super duper sick. Well, last week, the fact that you actually recorded the podcast was mind blowing to me. I'm like, <laughs> David, how are you summoning the energy to do this right now? Well, it's so fun to sit next to you and get an excuse to to talk. Actually, I felt way better after. I feel like it was the, the ultimate placebo effect because I get all jacked up. My butt gets super sweaty and I get ready to go. Maybe butt sweat is the cure. Oh my God. Someone should have thought about that with COVID. Um, but yeah, I was like curled up on the bed, just suffering through chills. Well, and all actually, that. the funniest story I think when you were sick is so you were curled up in bed, you missed dinner, you were barely vocalizing any words, and you turn to me and you say, Megan, give Addie her joint pills. <laughs> and I was like, What? So I was like, Okay, I'm gonna go downstairs and give her her joint pills. And I've never given Addie her joint pills before. You are always the joint I'm pill. The gatekeeper you of the are the pill. gatekeeper of the joint pills. And I looked at the label for the first time and it was like, Give your dog one to a half a joint pill a day. And I, what do you know? You are giving her three joint pills two times a day. I had that realization. I'm like, you are overdosing Addie on joint pills. <laughs> but she's running better than ever at like eight in a few months. So I don't know. I kind of feel like the Alberto Salazar of, of dog medications right now. But the, the joint pills, Cosequin, for those that do have older dogs, they seem to work wonders. I heard about it from an athlete I coach named Scott. His beagle 
uh, Nanny Beeks. She is 15 years old. She runs three or four miles every day. And I was like, I need, I'm like the, when, and when Harry met Sally, Sally, Addie was like, I'll have what she's having. So ever since we got Cosequin like a year ago, Addie's fetch has taken off. Yeah. It's been incredible. But back to the COVID discussion, yeah. we are, well, at least I am negative. Um, so I got the call. I was doing a bike workout, got a call from the testing facility. And I was like in the process of doing very hard efforts. I was yeah. legit in a hard two minute effort when I got the call. For not and 280 I was, watts. Like, Decline this call. I'm putting out a lot of watts right now. I'm probably not negative for COVID <laughs> or probably negative for COVID. But what do you know? They lost your test. Yeah, I, I had never heard of this before. So, well, granted, when we went up, it was snowing and their computer systems were down. So they were recording everything by hand on post-it notes. And then after the test, I got a confirmation email that my birthday was March 31st, 1970, which is not my birthday. Um, so I'm guessing that I like the tests were just random anyway. But um, yeah, I feel good though. I well, feel it's really good. funny because in epidemiology, there's this concept called a negative predictive value. So it's the the, the um, chance that you're negative if you're that you're truly negative yeah. if you test negative um, for disease. And so I feel like if you combine the fact that you ran a 10 mile workout last week at like 5:30 pace into like the negative predictive value, I'm like I'm pretty sure like you're you're truly negative. On I this. I really think I am. I should probably get retested though. Granted, with our introvert activities, it probably doesn't matter because we're quarantining anyway for a bit. Till you well, we had this family. discussion on Sunday when we found this out and we're like, well, what do we do? And I think you had been through the nose ringer. It took like three hours to go and test. I'm like, well, we can just not see people for 14 days. Like, <laughs> And I feel like that that revealed like the true, I've always questioned whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. And after that statement, I was like, yeah, probably an introvert. <laughs> it's like a big personality test. Um, and yeah, I've been taking up a lot of Megan's time with her doctor background because also my ankle acted up a little bit last week, like um, just kind of like inside of the ankle. And so I'm online on YouTube and Megan's like, what are you watching? And so of course I'm watching some janky at-home chiropractor video of how to adjust an ankle. And so you're, I, you're trying to walk me through like, Megan, I believe you can do this. Yeah. So you're like, put your two hands here. They didn't teach you this at Stanford? I'm going to lie on the ground and you're going to pull as hard as you can. And I'm like, these directions, like I am not one for reading instructions. These directions sound horrible. <laughs> so I got down on the ground in the birthing position and Megan just pops that thing right out. Or at least I think it did. It legit made that noise. Oh, sweet. It's like a, like a pop rock. So yeah, ankle feeling pretty good. We decide to go on a, our great hike on the weekend. Like we're trying to work a little bit less on the weekends. So we get out to our, our hike spot. Just, I'm so excited about my ankle. So excited about being with Megan. It's beautiful outside. Um, and we're at the car and I have to carry Addie because the, where the car is and where the trail, our, our trail spot, it starts is like 50 feet away and we don't have a leash for Addie right now at all. Um, and so I'm carrying Addie and I put her down and then Addie and I both bound up the little hill to go. Addie just sprints away and I suddenly hit the ground and feel something stabbing in my ankle. And I can't even look because what happened? Barbed wire ripped into the side of my leg as deep as it could go. And I'm just standing there like, oh my God, Actually, what just happened? Actually, you're not standing there. Yeah. You're lying there flat on your face being like, oh my gosh, Megan, what is going on? I got on? fucking decked. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's funny because like, We've been in a number of crisis situations before yeah. as a husband and wife. I feel like our like auras together in crisis situations actually mesh really well. It's kind of like this aura, honestly. Yeah, like we're like making jokes. We're like calm, cool, and collected. Yeah. We're like, okay, you are stuck in this thing of barbed wire. How are we going to get you out? I was we imagining. This, like, we like, had this deep conversation about who it. Who do you even call? I was like, do we call a wire cutter? Do we call an ambulance? We weren't even in reception. It's like, this is the most embarrassing thing ever because we were kind of bushwhacked. We were kind of off trail. What private place we were not supposed to be. Well, I think my first reaction to it was 
oh wow <laughs> yeah 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 megan just said oh wow and i was like oh my god that's megan code for you are bleeding profusely from your leg um so megan was so cool it was just like david you just need to move back um eventually all of a sudden after- oh, no 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 i walked you through the physics yeah. of it so you had fallen forward and i was like well you like lodge this forward so we need to have you slowly inch back we're gonna pull the leg back because we need to follow the trajectory in which it went in this and is come back out and i was giving you this oh whole gosh. like physics there are so many euphemisms and going you're like, on i right? believe this i believe oh, there are way too many euphemisms <laughs> in physics um so all of a sudden, it just releases yet another euphemism. It just like the the barbed wire leaves, and of course I'm like, okay, now the real pain starts. Now uh, we start moving, and I'm like, Megan, I think I'm probably in shock right now because I don't really feel any pain. Um, and then we're like, okay, well let's look. So we get up, we look, and all there are are deep puncture wounds with no bleeding. I have no idea what happened. It was so anticlimactic. So yeah. I was like expecting to pull down the sock and have like like blood just gushing, gushing. out at me. It would be it would be like a tis but a flesh wound yeah. came in, and there was nothing. I kind of feel like I'm a zombie or something, and perhaps don't have any blood for my shit. me was like, "Are you the biggest baby right now?" <laughs> well, we had a hand sanitizer, disinfected it. And guess what? It was just another ankle adjustment because I have felt freaking awesome ever since. So the lore of the story here is extreme acupuncture sometimes does the trick. No, that was like dry needling. That was like extreme, extreme dry needling. But it's funny because after that moment, I told you, I was like, you know, it's it's January and you've already used up your doctor wifey deductible in two, <laughs> in two instances. So no more medical incidents going forward. Well, please. thank you for that Stanford education. It really made me feel secure when I was on the ground being a big baby. <laughs> um, so yeah, also an update on mindfulness and meditation. Uh, well, before we mentioned that we had been using the Calm app um, and that kind of fell by the wayside over time. Actually, I was just thinking, did you ever cancel the subscription? I feel like we're literally king and queen of getting subscriptions and then forgetting to cancel yeah. them until our accountant is like, why do you guys have three different meditation app subscriptions? <laughs> I feel kind of guilty because I'm like, they're trying their best. Um, but at one point, uh, there was a thing where we were getting ready for bed, doing my meditation, and all of a sudden, Matthew McConaughey is telling me a story. And I'm like, I love Matthew McConaughey, but I don't need a bedtime story for Matthew McConaughey. So we switched to the 10% Happier app. Totally recommend it. It is freaking awesome. And Megan is going so far to do a meditation streak. Well, we get this gets back to the point of like positive reinforcement. Yeah. Why this is kind of dangerous for my brain, but I'm like, hey, it's meditation. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it. it's a positive one. But the way that my brain works is I, you know, I'm not a great sleeper. We've talked about this before on the podcast. And a couple nights ago, I meditated at 2 a.m. And I just got so pumped because I realized that meditation session could count towards the <laughs> next day. And I'm like, I'm already streaking and it's 2 a.m. This is so amazing. Oh my God, I love that so much. It makes me actually really happy to know that when you do wake up at 2 a.m., you have something there for you, which is this like calm voice telling you that you are enough. That's a very nice way of you saying that you don't want me to poke you at 2 a.m. anymore, saying, David, come play with me. Come I didn't even me. know you had woken up that night. It was freaking delightful. Well, it's funny because an athlete, so I logged into an athlete's log the next day and she mentioned, she was like, I was up at 2 a.m. And I was like, oh my gosh, we should have had a party. But I feel like there needs to be this meditation app that just allows you to know that there's other people who are meditating yeah. at 2 a.m. So you don't feel so ridiculous or so alone or so helpless at night. Like that would be amazing. So that's maybe, a way to connect with other people. Maybe there needs to be a meditation straw I don't know if that defeats the purpose of like mindfulness to be like, I wonder what people are going to think of my mindfulness. I wonder what my mindfulness watts are. Oh my God. You're probably breaking the freaking machine. I don't know. I'm not very good at it, but I think that's part of meditation is, is like most people are not good at it. And like the persistence to keep doing it, even when you know you're not good at it is, is something. Part of me thinks 
that meditation is a big practical joke being played on me. Like if this was the Truman show and it was like a video, like uh, I was a part of a reality show. I think meditation would be one of those things like he's totally going to believe this thing helps him when he just sits there and kind of his mind wanders. But I think that's the point. You're the uh, king of believing. You're yeah. all about this technical class of belief and you can't believe in meditation. Oh no, I believe in it so much, but there's just a little, little, 1% of my brain that's like, I'm totally being pumped right now. Ashton Kutcher is going to become come into my room and, and say, uh, David, this whole time, what you've been doing there hasn't actually been leading to transcendence. You're just kind of paying a bunch of apps. Well, on the 10% Happier app, um, Sharon Salzberg does this amazing love and kindness meditation. So love, the principle of love and kindness meditation is very simple. You're essentially just like spreading love and kindness to anyone who you randomly think of. Yeah. Um, so she often structures it by like, think of someone who's like neutral in your life. And then you move on to thinking about someone who like, you may not think is so neutral. Like you may not think they're so great. And then moving on to someone who you truly love. Like I could give love and kindness meditation to you all day. <laughs> And it's such a great way to end, but it's been, it's been helpful for me. And I think like even like working on giving love and kindness to myself, definitely yeah. the hardest meditation. And independent of meditation is something that like I thought about on the run today. And I guess that's the point of meditation is you bring it through the rest of your life. I was like, every single person I passed, I was like, I want to consciously send as much love to this person as humanly possible. Like, even if I'm being yelled at for whatever reason that people yell at others on the trail nowadays and, um, and do that in a way that's not just like a passive thing, but actually an active thing it actually reminds me whenever an athlete's racing. So when you were racing, let's say at, um, the 50 K in 2016, I remember just thinking of you and you smiling. And that's kind of what loving meditation is. It's like this or love and meditation. It's whatever I was going to say. Love and kindness meditation. Oh man, I can't even get that. Um, and, you know, channeling that though to everyone, especially people I think that maybe neutral or negative feelings toward is like the next step I, in, in being a good person, honestly, for me, um, and like being a truly good person, not just a person that's good to people that are good to me. When I've heard a lot of people say too, that it kind of becomes habit over time. Like I certainly don't think I'm at the point where like love and kindness meditation is habit for me. I think in fact, I'm kind of far from yeah. that in a comical way, but it's, it's helpful for me to realize that and kind of work towards that as a habit. When I think social media can be a big love and kindness meditation session, because even now, even saying all this shit, I find myself seeing someone else do something that I'm not connected to. And part of me will be like, oh, well, why isn't that this person or whatever? Like some little part of my brain. Well, I could do that. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or And that is so not the way I actually feel about the world. But I think everyone kind of has that in them. Um, well, if you think about it, it's probably evolutionarily hardwired in our brains to be like that. Like, yeah. it's probably not like the fault of who we are. Like if, if everyone collectively is experiencing that in some way, like it's probably not our faults, but you know, trending away from that is probably a good thing. Yeah. And so that's my big mission that I'm going to take into the future. And I think we're ready for topic one. Let's do this. So topic one is from LW. I love this question. Any thoughts on labeling our identities to ourselves internally or to others and changing or getting rid of those labels? You both have gone through a few significant life changes. So I think you might have a particularly helpful point of view on identities. Yeah. So when we're talking about identities here, we're not going to talk about like gender identity or like really definitional things about that. We're talking more about like the the passing things that we say at a dinner party or, or something along those lines. Um, and for me, at least, I remember being so freaking hung up on this. When I went to college, I was thinking constantly of what are the people at my high school going to think about my college choice, about me playing football or baseball in college. And then I get there and I found myself in a situation where I hadn't actually thought about what I was getting myself into. I only thought about what people thought about what I was getting myself into. Um, and of course, like I wasn't, I didn't want to play football in college. That wasn't what I wanted to do. And I wasn't until I played football that I realized that this identity I had constructed with myself was a character that I played to be 
like, I don't know, cool, accepted, not cool, accepted okay, in high school. Not going to lie. You were pretty cool in high school. I was cool. You played that character well. Oh my gosh. This, I'm, I don't know. I really well, I, only, I can on only this. tell that from like videos and stories, but the David Roach in high school that I know of, like <laughs> anecdotally seemed very, very cool. Reading lots the fact of books. That I'm, the fact that I'm married to that David Roach in high school, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is. So, oh, it's a big deal. It's, it's a big, big deal on Eastern Shore Mound. But I remember quitting football and, um, you know, it was this rainy day in New York city and like. I don't know, October, November, and walking on this over this platform on 118th Street in New York City and looking looking around and being so euphoric. Um, it, it, the same feeling now, I would be lonely and sad, but being so euphoric because the city didn't care. Um, you know, the, the old Alicia Keys line that concrete jungles make you feel brand new, that I had this new beginning where it was a blank slate where I could become anything. And from there, like really taught me, it's like, try to be less connected to whatever your identity is. And I'm still struggling with that, but I always think back to that. That's so beautiful. Well, it's interesting because I went through something very similar and I, I still kind of do to this day a little bit, but I think I was always so hung up on that. Yeah. Like when someone asks you at a dinner party, so what do you do or who <laughs> are you? I was so hung up on that two to three sentence introduction of myself yeah. being like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? That's cool. And I think recently I've just started being like, you know, I am, because how do I describe myself? I'm yeah. doing like 12 different things. It's like, how, how am I going to condense this into two sentences? This is very hard. But recently I've just been like, yeah, I am a running coach and I'm a writer. And it's interesting because I like, I think if I had looked back, you know, back in high school, back in college, I really wanted to say, I am a doctor. I am X, Y, and Z. That's like something that's like super, super like this built up impressive thing in my mind. But I've seen that like when I say that I'm a coach and I'm a writer, I get this like very, like people <laughs> are way more interested in that than if I say that I'm a doctor. And I think to me, that was like a very, very interesting like shift in identity for me, but also something that just like it allowed me to see like it's it's really about the stories of who we are yeah. and not the identities of That's who we so are. That's so beautiful. Like I remember when I officially took the leap into coaching, it was all because you you told me, David, you're a coach. Because for me, as you know, that same that same feeling that I had to become a football player was applied to becoming a lawyer that saves the world from climate change or whatever was in my head. Um, and now I love just saying, oh yeah, I'm a coach. I, I would never mention lawyer just because to me, that's the more interesting story. That's what I identify with personally, like on a deep level. And it's how I introduce you actually. So people, you know, I get the question often like, oh, so what are your husband, yeah. what does your husband do? And I'm like, oh, he's a running coach. He's a writer. And again, like similar to the response I get for myself, people are just interested in that. They're like, oh, tell me more. Like that's super interesting. Yeah. And these things like they aren't us. Like we are the awareness that is behind all of these emotions, all of these things we identify with as you know ourselves and all that and keeping that context has been so key for me it's like no i am something much greater than that what i love on this topic is i've recently heard the exercise of like writing down the key baseline characteristics of who you are that are not related to your career or profession um and are something that like a best friend would say about you so like yeah. thinking in the lens of what a best friend would say about you and i remember going through this myself and i wrote down a couple things i'm like okay a best friend would say i'm humorous maybe that i'm like accessible and real or positive and those things for me are independent from any career path I have. And it's like, I can take that to whatever I do. And I think it's a sense of like relief knowing that those aren't dependent upon something. Yeah. Yeah. That like whatever external circumstances happen, like that's you, that's you when you wake up at 4am and have this like goofy smile and you're just like, you know, you just do this high pitch, like it's the morning. And then you do a dance and whatever. And you bring that same thing to being when you were 
you know, thinking about being a doctor, you were bringing that same energy to people. Like I remember uh, talking to some of your, you know, people, I don't know what they call them, attendees, people that were above, above you in the hospital. And they would just say, oh, she just brings so much enthusiasm to our days here. And I don't know how good you were at whatever you were doing in the medical. Oh, med probably not good. But whatever, you know, I don't know if med any medical students are good, but they all looked at you so fondly because of these things that you had built up to be. Um, and I, it actually reminds me of an athlete quote in their training log. Um, and I asked permission if I could share this. I had a moment today jamming to my music and laughing at my own jokes, realizing that I like who I am. What a feeling. And that's the thing. It's like, if we're liking who we are, these identities aren't these fleeting things that especially that relate to like our jobs or professions, because that stuff isn't permanent anyway. Like even, even though we identify as coaches and I want to coach till I die, like that's not going to be like, that could all be taken away at any point. Like it has to be something deeper than that. And I think just to like having the courage for it not to be concrete is something that is, is powerful. Like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're having this identity, that's like shifting that it's like, you know, I think that's something that's, I think oftentimes we, we subscribe to these really concrete definitions. Like, can I describe myself in one word? Is that doctor? Yeah. Is it lawyer? Yeah. Is it teacher? Is it whatever? And it's okay if you need 15 different words to describe what you do or who you are. Yeah. I contain freaking multitudes. That's my identity. Yeah. And I, I just think it's liberating to be like, oh, these stories we're telling ourselves are stories. You can just start making shit up if you want, if when like in those stories and then embody that stuff over time. And that's just, it's so freaking cool to realize that you have these this unlimited potential at your fingertips and that what we call our identities is actually just like our awareness mapping itself onto the world. So we kind of control the mapping to a certain extent. I love that. I also love this question. I'm really glad that someone asked this. Do you want to go on to topic two? Let's do it. So topic two is on chasing big goals. This is from AM. How do you recommend operationalizing big goals into daily tasks you can work on to reach them? More specifically, David, what steps did you take to get to becoming a regular writer for Toronto Magazine? Any suggestions for an aspiring writer? Oh, heck yeah. And you are a writer right now is my big answer. Just like if someone asked that about being a runner, you're a runner right now. Um, so for me personally, I started a blog back in 2006, right after I had quit football, um, because I had this like urge for a creative outlet, but I was studying science and I just didn't like know what to do with it. And this was the heyday of dot blogspot blogs. So I started putting things up and over time it devolved into this kind of like surrealist mix of bad and good humor and good and bad writing. And, and it was, I mean, honestly, it kind of shaped who I ended up becoming through the process of doing. It. Well, it's really funny because before I had gone to actually meet you in person, I had read your blog. So Megan met me four years later. So thousands of blog posts later. Yeah. I read a lot of those blog posts. I don't know why. It was just like one of those things where I Googled you and yeah. I, I started reading one. Then I just kept reading more and more and more. And my main summary from that was, wow, this guy is very smart, but also very <laughs> weird. And it's funny because that summary like holds true today. Now, that was my first I'm so glad we you. were just meeting as friends. I feel like if we were meeting on a date for that first one, you might not have gone through with it, right? Would I would have, I would have swiped left. Is that a no or yes? actually, I don't know. Yeah, I, it would it would have been the no direction. Yeah, probably. It, been, it probably would have been like this guy's weird. But yeah. no, no. But it's funny because it's like I fell in love with that weirdness and that, that smartness. Yeah, and you know, through just the daily practice of writing, it didn't make me a better writer. I would say it just made me a different person, and that different person was a better writer. If that makes sense, like that the act of doing made me into what I became. And even with Troner, so writing for Troner magazine in 2013 or 2014, I sent them an article and it went through a bunch of edits and whatever. It, I didn't love it. And then I sent them another article and eventually I just became the person that sends articles. And now I feel like I'm one of the more senior people. And not to say that that is a, a model to use. It's just the idea of like, 
you know, you have to put yourself out there, be vulnerable and just take chances. Like I took a million other chances sending articles to random publications in the time before that and nothing came of it. And I was just going to keep doing it. And it was, it gets back to the identity thing. I was going to be a writer, whether anyone published my writing or not, because I just was freaking writing. And you fully embraced the grind during that process too. And I was there for that. Like you, you truly love the grind. I think this question is really interesting for me because I don't know. I'm this like creature of yeah. like, I probably tend towards like the anxiety side yeah. of life. And I think if I have these like concrete big goals written down, it just gives me a lot of anxiety thinking about like the mechanics of actually going about doing this. And so I think the way that I structure things is I kind of have like the, these loose big goals. I'm yeah. like, I want to do something cool or I want to do something. It's like this, the, I allow there to or be- Or take chances. Yeah, like I allow ideas, there to be yeah. space for, for vagueness. And I think like writing our book was a great example. Like I never fully thought about yeah. the idea of like what it would be like to write a book. And that was actually a great thing for me because and was, we had no idea what we were going to even say it was them. i mean if i had fully thought about that it would have been so daunting i would have never done it same thing goes for like the medical degree or for being a phd student never thought about like what what the mechanics or a podcast even. Looked like. I yeah. mean, all this stuff like i don't know the, the thing about operationalizing big goals into daily actions is that really you have to make sure you love the day-to-day -day process so much and develop something that like and, and by love i don't mean like you enjoy it like with giddy enthusiasm every day but that it's something that you know you like, you just, you'll do. That's you'll a do. great point. But I think too, also in that process, like celebrating the little things, because yeah. I think like there are going to be so many things that go wrong that like celebrating the, the stupid shit that happens each day. Like that's something that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. A culture of constant celebration it connected to not cutting yourself down. Um, that all of this stuff, like every terrible thing I've ever written, I, I, tr Megan celebrates it with me. Like every time I make a bad joke, she's like, oh, this is so great. You should probably not put this in this, this particular article, but this is awesome. Um, and you know, the, but that gives me the leeway to put myself out there in ways that are very uncomfortable for me naturally. Um, and, and that's why I owe so much to you, but we can all do that for ourselves. Like this applies to running, it applies to writing, it applies to literally anything. It's like, you have to celebrate every little step because there are, otherwise you're gonna just find yourself bogged down in like spirals of failure. That's so true. And the last quick point on this topic too, is just knowing that you will always have something in the back of your mind. Like yeah. for me, like I always have these little stresses that are sitting there and it's kind of like this act of meditation of acknowledging them and being like, well, if it wasn't this stress, it would be a different stress. And that, that mindset to me has been very helpful. To yeah, I feel process. like you've almost like the big transformation I've seen in you is that it's not that these things are ever going to go away. This weight vest is always going to be there, but instead of weighing you down, this waist vest just is making you stronger. Well, it's, it's like kind of funny. Training. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm running up a mountain with a weight vest. This is strange. This is yeah. funny. Yeah. And then eventually when you do take it off, it's like, you know, you're flying to the freaking moon. Um, but, you know, if you are out there with a weight vest on your shoulders, like it's okay. Talk to people. Everyone else is right there with you. Just keep moving forward day to day. You we love awesome. you guys. Bye. Bye.